Well, hello again. <laughs> Welcome to 2022, everyone. We're going to start our morning message here again in Matthew account in Matthew chapter 24, looking at the coming of the Lord Jesus. We've been in this series for quite a while now, and uh, actually for about four weeks now. And last week we were looking at the coming of Christ, his first coming in his birth. And today we get to really go straight to the second coming, his coming in glory. And who knows, it might be the sheer that he comes and raptures us home. We don't know. But we need to live in such a way that we're expecting Christ to come any minute. Amen? Amen. So let's read Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 to 51, and let's get into it. Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Was in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One be taken, one left. Therefore stay away, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begin to be his fellow servant and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on the day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's bound to word prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful and so thankful this upcoming year we get to start our year with anticipation of your coming, um, of the Son's coming. And we thank you, God, that you are coming again and that you are not leaving this world to its demise and you're going to bring glory back to yourself through the coming of the, the Lord Jesus. And he's going to glorify himself in his judgment, perfect judgment, as well as to take us, take all of the people who are here on earth who are his back home. We thank you, God, for your grace. We just pray that as we are listening to your word and as we are studying your word, that we will live in such an eager anticipation of your coming in such a way that our lives will be changed. We will change our ambitions. We change our conduct. We change the way which we live in terms of holiness for you. All of this, Lord, is because you're coming again. I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would just impact our hearts this morning to cause us to be in love with you more and more and to look forward to your coming. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We all actively seek after what belongs to us. You know, these days I carry many little things in my pocket. I carry my wallet. I carry my cell phone. I carry my earbuds. I carry my keys. I carry little things in my pocket because I need these little things in order for me to function from day to day in my day to day life. I need my keys because I need to drive somewhere, uh, so the keys are there in order for me to open, uh, open my car or turn on my car and uh, go wherever I needed to go. I need my earbud because sometimes when there's downtime in my life, I would like to listen to a sermon, listen to a podcast. I need to be learning on the go. I have my wallet with me because there's my driver's license in my wallet. I have my uh, credit card there, so I need to purchase something. It's there available for me. I have various things in my pocket things I need in order to kind of survive in life or do the things I need to do in life. And it's frustrating at times, and you have experiences, I might have experienced, what you have experienced is you have lost some of these things. You have really uh, expected to have your keys somewhere on your table, and you look for your t keys right before you're able to leave the home, and you cannot find your keys. Or you're looking for your wallet, you can't find your wallet when you're about to leave the home. You're wondering what, where you place them. You wonder where those things are. And this is a very common experience for each one of us. We want whatever is ours to be within our grasp. We want whatever is ours to be usable by us whenever we need it. 
I remember one time I was traveling and actually traveling, I was hiking with the kids. And it was a fun time for us. And it was something that, you know, I was really, really enjoying. I had earbud in my ear. I was listening to a sermon. I was enjoying the sermon. I was enjoying the hike. And all of a sudden I found out that I lost my earbud somewhere along the way. It was a, a, a rather disappointing experience. We will hike back from this hike, hiking place, and we're just putting the kids back in the car and about driving a mile away from where we're at, and I found out that my earbud is no longer my ear anymore. It was such a disappointing experience. I told my kids, you know, I, would, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I would really, really enjoy my, having my earbud. It's, it's expensive. I don't want to have to buy new ones. My kids and I were praying, you know, God... Maybe God will help us to, to find our earbuds again. It's like, well, it's a small earbud, and we're hiking this pathway. It could be lost anywhere. Where could it be? So we're praying and saying, you know what? We'll go back and look for the earbud. We'll go back and look for this particular um, tiny little thing that could have been lost anywhere. But you know what? Let's go have lunch first. So we decided we're going to have lunch first, and a couple of hours later, we drove back, and we were driving back, and we were in this pathway, and we finally parked in this location, which is very, very close to the same location we were parked before we left that place. And I opened my door, so you know what, let's look for, start from here and backtrack to where we're hiking. And lo and behold, there was my earbud there on the sidewalk for the last two and a half hours. People walk past, I mean, there's a lot of people hiking, right? People walk past this earbud. Nobody bothered to pick it up. And I picked it up, put my ear, boom, you know, it made a connection with my phone. It was my earbud. The Bluetooth was making a connection. I found out that God has left it there for me. He allowed me to retrieve what belonged to me. Needless to say, it was a wonderful experience. I was sad. I was disappointed. But then I was able to find my earbud, and I was happy. Whatever was lost has been restored to me. See, I say this experience because God is the same way to this world. See, God is also looking for something in this world. But he's not looking for lost earbuds. He's not looking for anything's lost. He, there's no item in this world that he doesn't know exactly where he is, where it is. He's looking for something that belongs to him for a very, very long time, and that is his glory. He's looking for his glory. He's looking for his, his honor, his praise, which belongs to him, which the world has not been given to him. Psalm chapter 47, verse 8 says this, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. He reigns over the nation. He sits on his holy throne. All nations, all people belong to him. He created all things. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. God says this, Hey, I created all things, so therefore because I created all things, all things belong to me. They need to give me glory. They need to give me honor and praise. And this is what's going to happen for all eternity in the book of Revelation. All things will bow down to the Lord Jesus and give him praise. This is really the way that God designed for all things to be. And when God created all things, he created all things to be perfect. He created all things to be under his will. He says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw everything he's made. And behold, it was very good. God created everything good. God created everything beautiful. He created everything according to his will. There is nothing bad, nothing wrong, nothing that should dishonor him. There's no sin, no sickness, no death. However, we brought sin. We brought sickness. We brought death into this world. God didn't, but we did. We chose to sin against God. We chose to disobey his command. We, God said this, hey, I want you to live according to my purpose, according to my way. I give you one command. Do this and don't do this. And we chose to do whatever it is that God told us not to do. As a result of that, sin entered the world. Sickness entered the world. Death entered the world. And because of that, the world is what it is today. It's full of destruction. There's pride. There's jealousy. There's hatred. There's all kinds of things that don't belong to the world according to God's creation, but here they are. And we must ask the question, is God going to allow these things to continue to occur in the world? Is God going to continue to allow sin and sadness and death and sickness to continue to recur and again and again in the world? The answer is absolutely not. See, God is the holy God, but not only is he the holy God, he's also the responsible God. 
He's going to care for this world. He's going to take care of this world. He's going to restore this world back to the way that he created it to be. He's going to restore this world to its perfection. And there's only two ways in which God can do this. One is that he's going to erase sin. And second, he's going to judge sin. See, God loves you and he loves me. He cares for this world. He cares for his creation. So therefore, what God does is that he brought his way of salvation to this world through the son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth. He lived the perfect life to give that perfect life to you and to me. And he died on the cross to pay for the punishment of your sin and my sins. And he rose again to show us that if we believe unto him, we will also rise again with him. This is the way in which sin and sinners can be separated. See, without Christ Jesus, sin and sinner cannot be separated. God is a holy God. He is the righteous God. And sin cannot be in his presence. And because we are the factory of sin, each one of us, because we're sinners, sin does not exist because of it exists. It exists because of us. Our hearts are the producers of sin. And because our hearts are producers of sin, we cannot be separated from sin except through believing the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, He came, separated us from sin. He became sin for us so that we can be the righteousness of God. That's the promise of God through Jesus. And so today, if we believe unto Him, then you shall have the salvation of God. God would literally take your sins away from you, put it onto the Lord Jesus, and He will give His perfect righteousness and give it to you. That's how the exchange is made. As you believe unto him, you shall have salvation. You shall live with God forever. You're made righteous. You're able to stay within the presence of God without being burned to a crisp. If you have him, then you'll live forever in the presence of God. But if you don't, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. God is still going to restore this world back unto himself. God is still going to restore this world to his former glory. As the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk chapter 3 says, so the glory of God will fill the earth. But as it fills the earth, those who are sinners before God will pay for their sins because we cannot be in the presence of God and still have sin in our bodies. We simply cannot. So therefore, God will judge. And that judgment is seen here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 to 51. Jesus will come again. He comes the first time to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's going to come the second time to be the ultimate and glorified judge for this world. So in this passage in Matthew chapter 24, verse 26 or 36, 51, we're going to see Jesus Christ as the judge. He's the judge. He's the rightful judge. And the two characteristics of his judgment, which we'll see here today, that would warn us to be prepared for it. Number one. His coming, His coming will be unexpected. His coming will be unexpected. We're going to see this verse 36 to 39. No one will know the hour or the day. Let's read this together. But concerning that day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, as we're in this passage, we've been in the passage for about four weeks now, and this is the fourth week. We've been studying through this, this conversation that Jesus has been having with the disciples, and this really is called the Olivet Discourse. This whole entire discourse is concerning the second coming of Christ. Now, the disciples were quite disappointed by this time because they thought that Jesus Christ should reign. Jesus Christ should be the king over all the earth in his first coming. That's their expectation. The Messiah is to come and reign. The Messiah is to rule forever. When, it, when he comes, he's going to bring the kingdom. And the expectation were not wrong because according to Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, it says this concerning the Messiah. It says this, To him was given dominion and the glory and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the Messiah. His kingdom is not to be destroyed. His dominion is not to pass away. All nations, all languages, all people is to serve 
the Messiah. That's the expectation. The expectation is really largely correct. It should be like that. But as we read through the book of Matthew, you've been with us for the last two and a half years, you know that this is not the story which we're reading. In fact, Jesus has been proclaiming himself as king. He's been telling all that the kingdom of God is like this, and this is how you are entering into the kingdom. This is how you need to do and what you need to do in order to enter into the kingdom. You need to believe unto me. However, people have not. People have rejected the king. So it's something that's happened. There's something that's happening. It's outside of the expectation of the people. How can Jesus be the reigning king? And yet he's going to be rejected. And we saw this also in Matthew chapter 21, chapter 22, when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem. And people begin questioning him, his authority. The Pharisees question authority, question are you the Messiah, question his theology, question his politics. We saw, him question, we saw them question Jesus on all fronts so that they could discredit Jesus, so that people would not believe unto him. And the end of this conversation we're reading in Matthew chapter 24 is that Jesus had been telling people that he's going to be crucified. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. And people are disappointed, the disciples that is. But Jesus let them know, Hey, your expectation of me to reign over all the earth is correct. I will come. I will reign. Now, this is something that you don't expect because throughout the Old Testament, we have not read about the first and the second coming of Christ. Now, we read about the coming of Christ, but we have not read about the delineation between the first and the second coming. Yet, this is something that's very, very clearly proclaimed in the Old Testament where God has to come and be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus had to pay for our sins. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11 talks about Jesus coming, becoming a man in order so that our sins can be paid for. So there is a first coming of Christ that must be fulfilled. And it's the beauty of the gospel. God's not just going to come and demonstrate His glory because if He does that, all of us will just burn to a crisp without any opportunity for salvation. But God says, I will be humble. I will show you my salvation. I will declare to you my grace. So we can only be thankful that there is a first and then there is a second coming. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 through 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. We be thankful that his thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways. He planned out the salvation plan from beginning, from the very beginning, before the foundation of the world. He came the first time to be the atoning sacrifice, but he will come a second time to be a glorious king as he promised that he would be. So in the Matthew account, in Matthew chapter 24, we're reading about his coming. Now, there are several things that must occur before the coming of Christ, and we read about the, all the difficult things that will occur. There's going to be the abomination of desolation. There's going to be trials beyond trials. There's going to be the tribulation period where Christians will suffer, not just Christians, but all the people of the world will suffer as a result of the tribulation. There will be the persecution among the Christians. There will be difficult things that will happen during the tribulation, but God says those days will be cut short. It says this in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 24. If those days are now be cut short, no human beings will be saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God says, hey, I plan for this to happen. And this is really for the reason of bringing the Jews back to God. The Jews will go through the tribulation period. See, they have rejected the Christ, but the tribulation period is really going to change the mind of the Jews. And they're going to look at the Messiah. They're going to look at the one whom they appears according to Zechariah chapter 13. And they will believe unto him. All these things will lead the Jews to believe. See, this is a church period at this time. The church has already believed unto the Lord Jesus, but will be raptured before the tribulation period. And during the tribulation period, this a period for the Jews to come to recognition that they need to believe unto the Messiah so that Jesus may have mercy upon all. God will have mercy upon the Gentiles. God will have mercy upon the Jews. In order for the Jews to recognize the Messiah is the true Messiah, that is Jesus the true Messiah, they will go through the tribulation period and their minds will be changed. They will embrace Jesus at the last minute and Jesus will appear again and rescue the Jews from the attack of the Antichrist. This will come to verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Now all the tribes of earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power. 
and great glory. God will rescue his people. God will take care of his people. All the people on earth at the time, many men will still reject the Messiah. They would live their lives as if nothing is wrong. But then the coming of the Son of Man will be an utter defeat for their thought process. They would have nothing before them, no excuses other than recognizing that this is truly the Messiah. There will be no scientific explanation. There will be no whatever it is that they have no excuses that can make. The Son of Man literally will arrive in clouds of heaven with great power and glory, and every soul at that time will know, because they were created by God, every soul at that time will know that this is Jesus whom they have denied. They will mourn, they will be sad, and they will pay for their sins as God comes to judge them. This is a sad time for many, but then it's also a time of relief for the believers to call the believers to be ready for this time because no one would know the hour and the day, Jesus says in verse 36, concerning that day, no hour, no, uh, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angel of heaven nor the son, but the father only. Jesus said, the only way that you could be ready, the only way that you could be prepared for that day is by being prepared the whole time. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, some of the people want to say, you know what, if Jesus is going to come, why don't you just tell us exactly what... See, there are signs that will point to his coming. We know that the coming of Christ is near, but we don't know the exact hour. We don't know the exact minute in which he's going to come. In fact, Jesus said in verse 36, not even the Son of Man knows. Not even himself, his own earthly presence in that earthly time when he was here, not even his own earthly humanity. And this is something that's mysterious for, for us to understand because we, we, we must understand that there is there's something that God, Jesus himself, would withhold himself from knowing while he was here on earth. But this is only setting an example for us. Jesus said, hey, I don't want you to go and try to figure out what exact hour, what exact time so that you think you could be ready to jump on the God bandwagon at the end. You know, somehow you're just going to just jump on it right before I come again. No, that's not going to happen. Don't let people deceive you. There's so many cults in this world. And, so, and Jehovah's Witness have done this in the Watchtower Society. Really, is in the beginning before the Watchtower, before Jehovah's Witness was established, tried to predict the coming of Christ. So did the seven days of Adventists. They tried to predict the coming of Christ. Many other cults have tried to predict the coming of Christ, all with failure. The reason why is because Jesus, even not even himself knows at this moment. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, All I have heard from the Father, I reveal to you. The reality is Jesus says, Hey, I, if my earth, in my earthly presence, in my earthly humanity, I chose to not know this knowledge, there's no way that you would know. Acts chapter 1, verse 7 says, It's not for you to know the times or the season the Father is fixed his own authority. So for the purpose of getting us to be ready for the purpose of, of challenging us to live for Jesus at every minute of our lives. God has set this apart. God has set this up for us. Say, hey, I want you to know that it's not up for you to know the exact coming of the exact timing of my coming because if you would know this, then you could just say, well, you know, I'm just going to time it at the last minute. But God says, no, I don't want you to think that way. I don't want to jump. I don't want you to jump on the God bandwagon. I just want you to be faithful the whole time, waiting for my coming. Be faithful to live for me because no one will know what day will be, what that day will be. As a result, there will be many people who, well, will fail this day. Verse 37 and verse 39 talks about how people would not be expecting the coming of the Son of Man. They would not know, they would not even believe the Son of Man's coming. Verse 37 and 6 this, says this, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. There will be in that tribulation period. Again, this is talking about the tribulation. It's going to be a hard time for the people, and yet we read about this in tribulation period in, Re in the book of Revelation chapter 6 that there will be a gap between between the rich and the poor to such a degree that the rich will still kind of live somewhat comfortably and they will be marrying, giving marriage, and thinking life is always going to be the way it's always going to be. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 gave a commentary on what people were going to be saying in those days that were saying, where is the promises coming? 
For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They were thinking, you know what, things are just always going to be the way it is. We're going to be comfortable. We're going to be enjoying life. We're going to be doing whatever it is that we're doing today, uninterrupted. But they will be interrupted. Actually, first, second Peter, actually, second Peter chapter three, verse ten talks about the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and heavens will pass away with a roar, and heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God says He will come to such a way that you'll be sudden. People might think that there will be nothing like this, but as we read, as we consider the world, as we consider the evidence of the world, we know that this world has experienced destruction before. There was a flood. Evidence of flood has been everywhere in the world. God has destroyed this world. And while He's planning on doing so, He also offered the way of salvation throughout the whole entire process. He says this, in verse 38, in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. See, the days of Noah is like this. Second Peter chapter five, verse five, chapter two, verse five gave evidence to what the days of Noah is like. It says this: God did not spare the ancient world, preserved Noah and herald the righteousness with seven others when He brought flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was preaching the gospel. See, Noah was building a big boat. Never ever since that day was there rain on earth. Never since that day was anything of a droplet that fell onto the earth. Mist was rising up from the ground. People thought this is the, always the way it's going to be. So Noah was building this boat for 120 years, warning people of the coming judgment of God, warning people that this world will end and God is going to bring His righteousness again to this world. People were watching Noah and saying, Noah, why are you building this boat? And Noah says, well, because God's going to judge. And people were laughing at him until, until they weren't, until the flood came and it was too late. And when the flood came, it was too late and the world experienced judgment. The whole entire world was wiped out. And God says, you know what? I've given you plenty of chances. I'm letting you know that my judgment's coming. This is how the world is going to be. This is how my judgment's going to be. You are going to know the exact time and hour. What you need to do is that you need to be prepared for it while it is still today. This is how you live for it. God's not going to look for bandwagon Christians. God's not going to look for people who are just going to turn to Him at the last minute. Some of us think, you know what, I'm just going to repent of my sins in my deathbed and live my way the way I want to live and repent my sins at the last minute and, and believe unto Jesus. Then I'll be saved. I get to have both... The, the best side of both worlds, the pleasure of this world, the satisfaction, the, the satisfying of my flesh and all this stuff, and then I get to believe in Jesus and go to heaven. This is my plan. Why well, it's never going to happen. It's never happened, the plans of human beings, because you don't know when you're going to die. You don't know when you're going to see the Lord. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. You don't know when God's going to come again. He's not going to make it available for you. If you don't want Jesus today, you're not going to want Him right before you die either. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to repent. You're not going to have the power to repent. Each one of us need to be ready right now. And I remember I was in college, I was in college, I was going taking these classes. And this is the perfect illustration. I felt like I was thinking through why does God not tell us when He's going to come? The reason why is because we needed to be living for Him at every single moment of our lives. I was in college, just taking these classes, and these classes are, are really a, uh, somewhat a difficult class, but but one of the classes I was taking, they didn't give finals or midterms. Just give these quizzes. And I love the finals and midterms. You know, some, most college classes they give you finals and midterms because they just you know, want you to prepare for one test and the teacher doesn't, doesn't really want to grade any homework. They don't want to be concerned about really real world learning. They just want to give you a final and give you a midterm and let you know that, hey, this is what your grade is going to be. Whatever you got is what you're going to get and this is it. So I would study for these final and midterms, right? The reason why I study for them is because you want to do well for your classes. But the only time I study for them is right before the occurrence of the final. I don't know if you've ever been through those classes. You know, when, 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 when are you going to study for it? It's like, well, I'll study for it. My final is coming next week. You find yourself on a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You still haven't studied for it. And finally, the next week came next Monday. The final is going to be here. It's so, oh, Sunday night. You're cramming in. And how do you do in those finals? You don't do very well at all. I don't do very well at all. 
But then sometimes you have these other types of classes where the teacher doesn't give finals. They just give these quizzes. Say, hey, you, we're going to have these pop quizzes. You don't know when it's going to happen. In fact, it could happen any minute when you come to class. I'm going to give you this piece of paper. You're going to have to fill it out. And it's going to be part of your grade. And you just have to be ready all the time. You know what those classes made me do? They made me study the whole time. I was ready for it. I actually do really, really, really well in those classes versus the classes where the teacher tells you exactly when the test is going to be. That is the final in the midterm. See, Jesus is doing the same thing for us. If you know exactly when the coming will be, then you just, well, maybe you just kind of get your life right the last minute. But that's not what God wants you to do. That's not how God wants you to live. He wants you to live for Him the whole time. For that reason, He kept it a secret between Him and Himself. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than ever when we first believed. The night is far gone, day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's warning us. Apostle Paul is warning us. Salvation, coming of Christ, is closer to you today than ever it has been. It's true. It's closer to you than yesterday. It's closer to you than when you first walked into these two doors. God is coming soon. How will your life be when he comes again? You don't know when he's going to come. The only way to be ready is to be ready all the time. So Jesus here is telling us, hey, we need to be prepared because you don't know exactly when that's going to be. The coming of Christ will be unexpected. The next reason why we should be prepared is because this. The coming of Christ will be a coming of judgment. The coming of Christ will be a coming of time, of judgment. Let's read verse 40 to 51 again. Verse 40 to 51. And two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One taken, one left. Therefore stay awake. For do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left this house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man's coming and the hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and the wise servant, whom his master set over his household to give him their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But the wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servant and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of the servant will come at a day when he does not expect him, and the hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. He will be weeping and gnashing. Now teeth. And to tell us here in this passage about the coming of Christ and why we should be ready, Jesus gives really three illustrations here. Three illustrations. The first illustration is really two men and two women doing very, very normal things. Two men working at a field. Men work and provide for the family. Very, very normal. Two women grinding at the mill. Very normal. They're just grinding at the mill. They were making flowers, for the fa- uh, making flowers so they can make bread for the family. Very, very normal things before, right, well, right before Christ comes. People were doing normal things before Christ comes again. And what will happen is suddenly one person will be taken. One person will simply be taken by God. Now, this is not talking about the rapture. We've been through the rapture. Rapture has already happened before this period of time. This is after the tribulation. Rapture occurs before the tribulation. Rapture has already happened. This is taken up in judgment. Remember, we read about this in Matthew chapter 24, again in verse 39. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. The people who are swept away, the people who are taken, are the people who are taken in judgment. And the people who are left, that is Noah and his family, were the people who get to stay for the next phase of God's program on earth. In this case, the people who are taken are the people who are taken in judgment of God. And people get to stay are the people who get to stay for the millennial kingdom that has to occur right after the tribulation. But God will judge. He will make sure that the people who stay from the millennial kingdom are the people who belong to him. So we must be ready. We don't know when that's going to occur. Verse 42, so therefore stay awake. Do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Don't lose faith. Don't lose your perspective on Jesus. Don't lose your, your pursuit of God because God will come again. Jesus will come again. He'll separate the sheep and the goat. 
And those who are his will get to stay and reign with him for 1,000 years. To give further illustration, Jesus then gives illustration of the thief here in verse 43. But note this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake, would not have let his house be broken into. He's talking about the thief. Again, this illustration, Jesus kind of, kind of just breaking it up for us. There's three illustrations here. The thief is who? The thief is God. Okay, just hold with me. Hold with me. There's, there's a, the, the illustration only goes so far, so far. But the thief is God. The master of the house is you. You're the master of the house. And thieves coming at any minute, and you need to be ready for the thief. And that's about all the extent of the illustration because Jesus is not really truly a thief. I mean, he is the one who gives life. Right? He's the one who gives life to all. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they may have life, have abundantly. Jesus came to give life. So this is the illustration that Jesus gives. He's saying, hey, I came to give life. But I want you to notice, I come as suddenly as a thief comes in the middle of the night. It's something that you don't expect. Another comparison you could say is the thief comes to take whatever, whatever is yours. Well, Jesus is going to come. He's going to take whatever you think belongs to yours, but really truly belongs to him. He's going to come and take everything. At that moment, you're going to lose everything. You're going to have nothing left. Your house will be broken into. And God will retrieve whatever belonges to him. Psalm chapter 50, 10 through 11 says, Every beast of the forest is mine, cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, all that moves in the field is mine. And there's nothing which you have that does not belong to God. So when God comes, he's not stealing from you. He's just retrieving what belongs to him in the first place. And you're going to be left with nothing unless you are watching. Unless you're watching. So verse 44, it says, So therefore you must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour, not just a day, an hour you do not expect. You don't know when it's going to come. And to push this forth further, Jesus then gave a third illustration about the master of the household in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and a wise servant whose master is set over his household to give him food at the proper time? In this case, the master household is who? It's God. Jesus kept changing the the, the, the illustration to, to, to demonstrate the suddenness and the readiness that you need to have in order to prepare for his coming. The master household is God. Who is the wise servant or, or the servant? It's you. You're the servant. In fact, every human being on earth are servants of God. We've all been given something from God. All of us, right? God has set his servants over his household. Each one of us, you have breath, you have heartbeat, you have life, you have possessions, whatever it is that you have, you have something God has given it to you. He's given it to you. He gave it to you for one purpose and one purpose alone. Throughout the book of Psalms, we read this in Revelation chapter 4. He gives you what you have so that you may what? You may give him glory with what you have. That's the reason why God given it to you. If you want to be a master or you want to be a servant of his household, you want to do whatever he's called you to do, then you need to give glory to God with what he's given to you. You need to use it for the glory of God. Unfortunately, for all the people on earth who do not believe in Jesus, whenever they have something, they're using it not for the glory of God, but for who? For themselves. For themselves. Every single person. If you don't believe in God, you will use your heartbeat, you'll use your breath, obviously, you use your life, you use your energy, you use your money for what? The propagation of your own selfish desires. Whatever it is, your own ambitions, your own careers, you say selfish is really, yeah, well, anything apart from the glory of God is selfish. It's for yourself. It's to make yourself feel better, whatever it is. Instead of glorifying God, instead of giving the honor and praise to the Lord, you're pursuing something that will give honor and glory or satisfaction to your own being. And God says, hey, unless you give glory to me, you fail the purpose. You fail your calling. So therefore, he will come. Verse 46, actually verse 48 to 49, the wicked servant says to himself, this is the conversation that everybody will have regarding their own lives. We do not believe in Jesus. They will say, my master is delayed. Begin to be his fellow servant and eat with a drink and drink with the drunkards. They just simply would not use whatever resources that they have for the glory of God. They would utilize it in the wrong way. And in verse 50, the master of the house will come on a day that he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and then he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place will be weeping 
and a gnashing of teeth. God will judge. God will simply restore whatever belongs to him. But for those of us who are his, those of us who are faithful, those of us who look forward to the coming of Christ, again, this is something that will happen during the tribulation period. There will be many people who just don't really care. They don't care about what the Antichrist is doing. They don't care about the, the suffering of the Christians who will live their lives according to their own selfish desires. But for Christians during that time, they will be faithful. They will be watching for Jesus. And there will be those who, in verse 45, the faithful and the wise servant who the master set over his household. And then there also, in verse 46, they're the blessed ones. They're the ones who Master will find so doing when he comes. In verse 47, God will set him over all his possessions. They'll be rewarded by God when God comes again because they have been faithful to look for his coming. This is God. God will be faithful to reward those who are his and be faithful to judge those who are not, who have not been looking for the coming of the Son. You see, each one of us need to be faithful. If your life today if your life today is not somewhat characterized by the coming of Christ, then I'm afraid you missed the point of Jesus. Each one of our lives today need to be characterized by the coming of Christ. Not just the coming of Christ, the imminent coming of Christ. If Jesus were to come today, if he is to show up right now, right after the service, over before I finish speaking, is what you're going to present to God today, what you're going to present to God today, what do you want to present to God? That's the question. If it isn't, then you need to change your life, your purposes, how you use your time, how you use your possessions, how you use whatever it is that you have. If you would do something different, if Jesus were to come right now, then you need to make that change today to be doing that exact same thing. That's what Jesus is saying. In fact, throughout Scripture, we're giving warnings after warnings of people assuming that Jesus is not going to come right now. They just remember the story of the man with the barn, right? The man with the barn saying, you know, I have, a, I have lots of food stored up, lots of crops stored up. In Luke chapter 12, verse 14, uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 19, rather, he says, my soul, we could take comfort. You've been successful. You have plenty left over. You don't have to be worried and concerned. Why? He assumed that his life will keep going the way it is. So is the guy in James chapter 4 who went out and made a trade. He said, you know what? I'm going to go out to this town this year. I'm going to go out to that town next year. I make trade here. I make trade there. I make lots of money for myself. And I'll be rich. Assuming that his life will keep going the way it is. But as we know, life changes. Your life is not what you expect it to be. In fact, the life that you're living today, you never expected yourself to be here, right? Well, God is making changes throughout the entire world. In fact, He will change anyone's life at a moment's notice. And your life could come to an end. You could see the Lord Jesus. If you see the Lord Jesus today, what would your answer to Him be? Will you be happy? Will you be glad? Will you be caught doing something that, Jesus, that you want Jesus caught you doing? Would you be satisfied saying, God, I would not, and I will pray that each one of our answers is, I would not do anything different than what I'm doing today. I hope that's your answer. That you will not be doing anything different because you're satisfied, you're content in the Lord. You say, you know what, God? I'm happy the way my life is because I'm giving all to you today and I'll keep doing this until you come. That should be our heart attitude. If not, then we need to reconsider. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to 13 says this, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each person has done. So Paul is saying, if you build your life on your ambitions, you build your life on your career, you build your life on something that will not last for all eternity, the only thing that will last for eternity, by the way, is what? It's worship. It's worship. It's people worshiping God. That's the only thing that will last for all eternity. So is your life building toward that? Is your life just simply building your career? Is your life involved in telling people about Jesus? Telling people about how they need to worship God? Encouraging the body of Christ to come alongside each other so that we can all worship God together and give Him glory and honor that He is due because that's what we're created for. 
created for His worship. We're created for His glory. That's the only thing that will last for eternity. And I pray that your position in life, your going in life, your pursuit in life is to draw other people to know the Lord. No matter what it is you do, it doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. doesn't mean that you have to become a minister. doesn't mean that you have to go and drop everything and be a missionary. doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that your goal and your prayer and your driving life is to lead other people to worship in your very thing that you do. Whether you are a doctor, whether you are a physician, uh, an actor, whether you are a musician, whatever it is, an engineer, whatever it is that you do, your primary job, your primary goal in life is to think through how we, in what you do, you can lead other people to worship. That is it. That is it. That's how you can build your life on gold and silver and precious stone and be ready for the coming of Christ. First John chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will what? Will live forever. Will live forever. <clears throat> Those who please God will live forever. You live your life for the sake of Jesus. That life will be cherished forever eternity. If not, well, you chose the wrong thing. But I pray that each one of us do not choose the wrong thing. First Corinthians, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse four through five says this, and this is each one of us. Encouragement to you, encouragement to us. It says this, but you are not in darkness, brother, for that day to surprise you like a thief. But you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of night or of darkness. And Paul continues in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eight through nine. And since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, a hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I says, hey, you guys are of a day. You guys are, not, uh, you guys are of light. If you guys have a day of light, then your life should reflect in such a way that you're living for Jesus, not just in your ambition, <clears throat> what you read here, not just in terms of your career, not just in terms of your life goal, but in such a way that you're living sober, living holiness, living in such a way that when Christ comes, He will find you to be living in a way that pleases Him. See, Jesus here is telling us that our lives need to be pure. Our lives need to be holy. Our lives need to be righteous. Our lives need to be honest of integrity before God because why because we know that he can come any minute including this hour so we should be prepared should we prepare because his coming is unexpected should we prepare because coming is a time of judgment see the world right now is telling us to not to worry that's the world's perspective of the coming of Christ. You know what? Things are always going to be the way it is. In fact, this is perhaps the most effective, deceptive scheme of the devil. The devil has a scheme. Did you know this? According to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, We would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignoring his designs. He, he has a scheme. His scheme is this. William Barclay has really made a wonderful, wonderful illustration about the scheme of the devil. He said this, and I always remember this illustration. He said, Satan has three apprentices. I've heard the story. Three apprentices, and he's training up to destroy this world. He says, you know what? I'm going to train you to destroy this world, but first I must ask you. I must ask you how you plan on doing so. What's your plan? Demon number one. How do you plan on destroying this world and lead people away from God? Demon number one says, well, I plan on telling people that there is no God. I tell people there is no God. Satan says, well, that's a good try. Good try. Many, some people will believe you, but I tell you, not many people will. People believe that there is a God. So he turned to the second princess and said, well, what do you plan to do to destroy this world and lead people away from God? The second princess said, well, I plan on telling people there is no hell. Satan says, well, that's a good try. There will be people who will believe you, but... Honest truth, many people will not. I mean, people know there is a hell, and it's not the most deceptive scheme that you could give to people. So he asked the third demon, 
What do you do? How do you plan on destroying this world and lead people away from God? The third demon said this, I will tell them that there is no hurry. I tell them there's no hurry. And Satan said to this demon, my friend, you will gain many souls. It's true. It's true. People are not questioning the fact that they need to return back to God. People are not questioning the fact that perhaps their sins will lead them to hell. They know that. They just think that maybe it's not today that it will happen. But see, Jesus is telling us it can happen today. We need to be ready. Christ's coming can occur any minute. And the only thing that will guard us from the judgment of God is the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As the songwriter writes, when he comes with trumpet sound, that's the coming of Christ, we come to trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. How can we be found in Christ? Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, what? The solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. The only way that we will survive that day when Christ comes again, not just survive, but be gloriously presented to the world alongside with him, is when we are presented. It's when we stand on the solid rock of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for this passage. We're thankful that we get to just reflect upon the simplicity of the gospel. We know, Lord, that there are many things that will occur during the tribulation and many things that will occur after the tribulation and things that are beyond our current understanding of world events, but at the same time, we know the simplicity of the gospel truth, which is that you will come and you will rescue us is what's going to last for all eternity. We know, Lord, that as we believe in Jesus, as he is our rock, our foundation, the blood that cleanses us, Lord, we will not be failed by that expectation. We will arise with you. We will be glorified with you. Thank you, Jesus, for being our God. Help us, Lord, to live in such a way to reflect your holiness. Help us live in such a way that reflect your coming so that our lives' ambitions, our lives' goals will be dramatically well shaped by it. But we don't want to be surprised. And we shouldn't be surprised because we're children of day. We thank you, God, for warning us. We pray, Father, that each one of us take our warnings seriously and may lives change as a result of this today's um, passage and message we heard. We thank you, God, for your um, constant reminder. Help us, God, to live in such a way that receive all the glory of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.